Hello and welcome to the second Rambling to Net Zero podcast. Um, I, I guess I shouldn't really be as clueless as I was for the first one. Um, I'd like to say I'm a bit more relaxed and looking forward to this one, knowing that the first one seemed to work or kind of. Um, I, I will admit though, it was it was quite funny actually listening to it back and just you know, maybe more weird is what I, what I meant to put in there. Um, listen back on it afterwards, you know, Honestly, no idea why you pronounced vineyard as vineyard or any, any of the rest of it I messed up, really. Uh, but just some of those bits turned out to be my favourite. Uh, listen back to it, so best just leave it that way, I guess. Um, so just me on this podcast again. I haven't, you know, not going to introduce any guests, just like the last one. Uh, but However, I have had some interesting conversations recently. So who knows, you know... Um, once I have a couple of episodes in the bag, I suppose once I have a few of these recorded and saved somewhere or uploaded, um, and ready to launch, I, launch sounds like something big fancy that I'm doing, it's not really. Uh, I should have a few guests and a couple of surprises actually on the cards that I wasn't expecting, but will hopefully introduce a bit more of a format as well to this going forward as I've just been winging it, you know, uh, yeah, I've just been winging it really, um, as you could, you know, if you couldn't tell before. Um, Anyways, you know, I had a few ideas of what to cover for this next podcast, uh, but I thought I'd run a quick poll over on LinkedIn. Um, I thought it was probably one, one of the first ever running a poll on LinkedIn, uh, less about that. Um, I basically asked people to choose from, you'll know, choose the topic of this podcast uh, from the following options. You know, one was fossil fuel scandals. Uh, the next one was green energy purchasing. Uh, three was innovative technologies. And four, you know, massive capital letters was give us the scandals, um, you know, so, and as probably not that surprising, really, all, when all the vote, you know, all of the votes, in fact, were split between the two options relating to scandals, um, which I'm completely fine with, really, uh, as I purposely try to influence the poll, actually, uh, for reasons that will hopefully become a little clearer later on, um, but but you know what you know if scandal is what the people want then scandal is what they will get uh, fine with that um, so to kind of begin this really I guess um, a long long time before there were social media influencers there were lobbyists uh, you know, lobbyists still exist today of course you know it's not it's not like they all disappeared when social media influencers came along um, but anyways, I, I, I decided to call this episode See You in the Lobby. I thought that was quite a nice t- title. Probably, probably doesn't make as much sense as I think it does. Uh, but but don't worry, you know, b- before I begin, I know this is the Rambling to Net Zero podcast, but I'm going to go a little off-piste uh, to begin with here and take the tobacco uh, and... I'm going to take the tobacco industry, industry as an example here. Uh, but trust me, you know, the reasons should become clear soon-ish. Uh, so kind of starting this one, in 1950s, you know, those scientific studies showed a relationship between smoking and lung cancer. Um, this obviously wasn't good news for tobacco companies and they didn't really enjoy facts like this getting out to the public, who they would have obviously have seen as being their customer base and ultimately the difference between posting, you know, profits or record profits at the end of the day. Um, so in order to combat this, on the 4th of January 1954, major American tobacco companies, they, they released a mass advertising campaign. You know, it's estimated to have reached 43 million Americans. It was published in 400 plus newspapers. Um, 
And the title of the advert was A Frank Statement to Cigarette Smokers, which, uh, as is, I guess, now famously known as, you know, being a, a frank statement. Um, and the sole purpose of this was really to instill doubt in any science linking smoking with diseases. Like, I guess it was it was, it was literally a smoke screen, if you want to put it that way. Um, don't know if that the word came from, I don't think it was. Okay, you know, and you know, you probably ask, what has this got to do with lobbying? You know, well, that's exactly what the what the tobacco companies did next. Um, to avoid decisions being made that might be seen as damaging, they you know they began trying to influence political decisions, legislation, and all that to be favourable towards their industry. You know, and what is lobbying? I guess is the next one. You know, it, 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 well, well, in a nutshell, I suppose it can be. Oh, better not go wrong on this one, but in my own in my own terms, I guess it's very loosely described as bribery. It might be a legal form of bribery, but you know, to me, it's still bribery at the end of the day. Really, um, people try to get the results that they want. Um, there is a debate on whether the term lobbying was first used in the UK or America in the early eighteen hundreds, but. You know, I guess in both cases, which which they saved me a lot of hassle, you know, trying to research this or anything you know, any further, um, it was both linked with political parties and companies offering some nice incentives. So let's just say it happened around the same time. You know, let's not fight over that. Um, but starting in America, anyways, let's just let's just look at that part. You know, over in America, the Republican Party and even Donald Trump's right hand man himself, Michael P Mike Pence, um, have been directly linked to political donations from tobacco lobbyists. It just shows you just the influence these guys try to get, you know, and you might just think that's, you know, well, that's in America. What's that got to do with all of this? Um, however, this is, you know, this is happening all over the place. This is happening a lot closer to home as well. You know, even we're taking the tobacco industry as a as a first start. Um, the current, you know, the, the current UK Home Secretary, Priti Patel, um, who's been in a lot of powerful and influential positions, you know, but but it's, it's no secret that she's actually an ex-tobacco lobbyist herself uh, when she used to work for Warber Sandvik, Sandvik, Sandwick, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to make a hames of pronouncing that, but, you know, but their, their clients anyways used to include the likes of British American tobacco. So it'll probably come as no surprise to say that she voted uh, for the for the smoking ban to be overturned in 2010. And has been strongly against, you know, the plain packaging of cig you know, the plain packaging on cigarettes. She's been against that, obviously, you know, kind of nailing her flag to the mast. Um, but anyways, I, I guess to recap, you know, tobacco has shown to be damaging to people's health. This wasn't good for the giant tobacco companies, so they used political lobbying and also employed propaganda techniques to dispel the dangers to the wider public. Um, so. Let's please try to remember that later on if you can. It will link back later on. Um, so I guess, you know, getting things back on track to discussing what I, I suppose we're all here for a net zero. Uh, you know, climate science has pretty much pretty much began in the you know the early 19th century, you know, realizing the existing of ice ages and the natural greenhouse gas effect uh, being discovered. By the end of the century, by the end of that century, I suppose, scientists discovered a link between human activity and climate change. You know, fast forwarding to the 1950s and 60s and the effects of CO2 levels and, and what they were having on climate, on the actual climate itself, 
were being published with growing concern by scientists. Um, now I guess it's a bit of a bombshell, but you know it's been it's been shown. I know it was on a excellent Guardian article last year um, that one third of greenhouse gas emissions linked with global warming since 1965 have come from just 20 firms, 20 companies, firms, whatever you want to call them. Um, and you guessed it, you know, all of these are fossil fuel companies, you know, specialising in the extraction of coal, oil, gas. Um, like, you'll recognise the names on the list. You know, there's Chevron, Gazprom, BP, Shell. You know, you'll, you'll recognise a lot of them. Um, you know, so granted, you know, it's very difficult to sell fossil fuels based on any merits of them, you know, being a good thing for the environment. You could you know, stick a label on them, I guess, or something, you know, or, or you know, for people's health. So the only other option really was downplay the, I suppose, the effects and of, of the fossil fuels and getting people thinking that they weren't, they weren't really that bad. You know, if, if they're not really that bad, you know, is anybody that fussed? Um, and in the 1960s, that's exactly what these companies started doing. You know, a misinformation campaign that I suppose can be summarised, uh, if I put a commas on this, saying the denial machine. Um, and just like we saw in the tobacco industry, as the example I gave earlier, uh, you know, negative news about this product is bad is bad for business, which needs needed to be protected at all costs. This includes you know creating scepticism and encouraging climate denial in the general public. Um, funding went towards vast PR exercises and think tanks, uh, which included directly funding you know scientists, vocal leaders to speak out and I guess dismiss these climate warning messages. Sounds a bit bonkers, right? Um, you know, anal you know, analysts have shown as well uh, from 2003 to 2010, organisations promoting client misinformation received close to a billion dollars of corporate funding per year. You know, there's universities included in this. It's mad. Um, this was you know, largely swept under the carpet and then was replaced by untraceable donor networks that were la later nicknamed actually dark money ATMs. Um, and this allowed corporations to continue to fund this climate denial while hiding their support. Um, it's a very kind of two-faced, I guess. Um, at, you know, even at the 1980 American Petroleum Institute meeting, um, several representatives from lar large oil companies even stated that by the year 2000, so 20 years forward, at the time, um, we'd likely see one degree Celsius of warming. And then they went on to say, you know, by 2038, this would be 2.5 degrees. By 2067, this would be five degrees rise. So you can kind of see the trend here that was developing. And this was their, you know, their representatives saying this. And um, it, But this again was you know, as scary as it was. This would be swept under the carpet. You know, even in modern and more recent times, funding from big oil companies have gone towards paid adverts on the likes of Facebook and Instagram. Uh, this is you know behind a backdrop of the same firms, you know since the Paris Agreement, uh, you know, that they've been publicly endorsing the need to act against climate change. Um, you you might remember from the last podcast uh, there was an alarming statistic, or I, th I thought it was an alarming one, anyways. Um, you know that over half of Americans don't believe in climate change. You know, and you know, I, I guess it's kind of, you know, is is it any? Is it really any wonder when some of the largest corporations in the world that profit from fossil fuel use uh, use such powerful and valuable tools to cause confusion or doubt? 
you know, I have to mention South Park here as an example in all of this. You know, I'm a big fan of South Park, you know, not really having a go with that. But back in 2006, uh, they mocked former US presidential candidate Al Gore about his soon-to-be-released documentary called An Inconvenient Truth. Some of you might remember this. I don't know if you've seen it or heard about it, but whether, whether the documentary itself or the South Park episode, I guess. Um, you know, but do the documentary was focused on the devastating potential of climate change on the planet. But yeah, some of you might remember this episode that, uh, that I'm talking about here. Uh, you know, it basically focused on Al Gore that was trying to tell everyone that it's time to get serial about climate change. Um, how climate change in this instance was in fact Man Bear Pig, which was you know, a pretty messed up created fictional character that in the episode turned out to just be in Al Gore's head. You know, nobody actually saw, saw Man, Man Bear Pig. Um, you know, fast forwarding 12 years, uh, you know, 12 years after that, and in 2018, uh, the creators of South Park, I suppose they offered an apology of sorts, you know, only, you know, come on, like, they're not, they're, they're not really the type of guys to go around offering serious apologies, are they? Like, you know, they're, they'll do things in their own way. But anyways, you know, in the follow-up episode, trying to right their wrongs, the South Park creators, uh, they do admit that climate change, sorry, um, man bear pig is in fact real. And not just is it real, but it's angry and about to cause widespread damage. They didn't take it so easy on poor Al Gore, but, you know, he, he can take it. Um, the denial, this whole denial machine, you know, it's quite a scary thing. You know, however, it's only part of the wider picture. The other is lobbying. You know, we've already mentioned bits earlier about the tobacco lobbying. Um... And again, you know, as, as if it's a repeat of the tobacco industry, you know, fossil fuel lobbying took place all over the globe in order to receive powerful backing, or the powerful backing it, it, it is required to continue largely unchallenged. Um, you know, energy has literally ruled the world since the Industrial Revolution, or, you know, I guess you could say, you know, fossil fuels have really ruled the world up to this point. Um, you know, you're kind of looking back I'll put out an example here. Um, looking back at, I suppose, the former US President uh, Jimmy Carter, he seemed to be, you know, reading up about this guy, he seemed to be quite a visionary ahead of his time. You know, he installed 32 solar panels on the White House back in 1979. Um, however, these were, of course, removed by his predecessor, you know, President Ronald Reagan, who eliminated tax breaks for the deployment of wind turbines and solar technologies. Well, on the flip side of all of this, eliminate price controls for oil and natural gas. So he obviously had a different vision of what the future looked like and where his vision was coming from, you know, is questionable. You know, but fossil fuel lobbying has always been huge in America, which isn't really too surprising when you learn that they've had, you know, they've under 5% of the world's population, but account for over 20% of the global energy use. Um, George Bush Sr., of course, you know, heavily involved in the Texan oil business, and oil companies continue of deep roots in the White House. You know, um, fossil fuel companies continue to strip Native American lands and lobbying has a foot in all of this. Um, so we don't need to look forward any further than the UK or its own energy policy of 2015, really, you know. And that's scary because that's only, you know, that's only five years ago. Um, you know, Ed Davey, the now leader of the Lib Dems, uh, I think I think he's not the leader anyways. Well, we'll, we'll say that he is. Um, he has unfortunately passed the baton 
of being the UK Energy Secretary to Amber Rudd, you know, a point that we'll come back to in a little bit. Um, but David Cameron, this David Cameron-led government, I guess, you know, they really hit renewables hard. I certainly felt that way at the time. You may remember, you know, slogans at the time claiming that onshore wind was like the devil in many ways, you know, and announced this war on wind, claiming that enough was enough and people are fed up with wind turbines. Um, despite you know public opinion at the time not agreeing with those statements whatsoever. Um, this was all laid out in their manifesto very proudly for all to see. You know, but then also included conflicting statements, you know, it was backing fracking, you know, we saw that on our doorstep here up in Lancashire. Um, you know, and backing nuclear across the you know, the UK claiming you know, and all all that kind of mixed together and muddied you know, muddled together. The absolute classic was really that they were also claiming to be the greenest government ever. Um, you know, I'd like to add here, like I, I put nuclear in there, you know, the add up, but nothing against nuclear, you know, it's low carbon, which is great. But since they aren't paying me anything, uh, no, don't worry, I'm just awkwardly joking there. Um, and it was back, back to Amber Rudd, I mentioned her a little bit earlier. You know, she was back, she was the energy secretary back then, um, taking over from Ed Davey. And the breaking news at the time came, you know, it came from all this. It was brushed under the carpet again. Was that her own brother, uh, Roland Rudd, owned a company that lobbied on behalf of oil and gas companies? Like, I did a bit of looking into Ro you know, Roland, and you know, I'm not gonna lie, you know, his background is pretty impressive to say the least. You know, Oxford University graduate, you know, became president of the Oxford Union, done a bit, done a done a stint in journalism, and then set up a company called Finsbury. And it was this company that kind of was cast into the limelight that they represent a lot of lobbying, I guess, um, on, on, on the behalf of oil and gas companies such as Shell. Um, you know, even if, it, even if he himself was quite an open supporter of labor, uh, you know, Amber, his sister was obviously a conservative MP. Um, the potential conflict of interest with his and his sister and his own sister, as the you know, as the acting UK Energy Secretary, um, it, it was quite you know it was all kind of, and then and then seeing all the fracking and nuclear and gas being pushed towards the front the front of the party's manifesto, while renewables were being tarnished, um, it just it just doesn't really look that good, does it? You know you don't you don't want to I don't want to make too many comparisons or draw too many lines here, but it doesn't look good, um, and that caused a bit of an uproar at the time. Um, but you know, it is good. If all that said, you know, we've come a long way in five years from that manifesto, and just the the strength that renewables is at. Um, you know, renewables have become the most cost-effective energy solution. You know, in 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 the face of intense competition uh, from the fossil fuel industry. You know, and that's not just on price, but including all of the lobbying and misinformation that we've discussed as well. Um, we're seeing complete flip. It's great. Um, you know, a complete separate. I suppose on a completely separate note as well. You know, something I thought that was interesting. Uh, the separate note underlined maybe. Um, you know, the Guardian ran a story a few weeks back. You probably like like you you'd probably laugh at this if it wasn't so bloody scary. But um, basically involved oil drilling in the Arctic. Yes, uh, the same Arctic that's losing records amounts of ice year on year. Okay. You know, um, what's losing 51 billion metric tons of ice annually between friends, I guess, you know, 
one of those. Um, but anyways, you know, the whole gist of that story was that this poor old oil company, you know, Conoco Phillips, they they want to they want to pump out one hundred sixty thousand more barrels of oil oil a day from a new project in Alaska's North Slope. Um, but I guess here lies the problem for poor old Conoco Phillips. Um, the permafrost its drilling equip its drilling equipment would be located on is melting. Um, so in fact, that is actually being deemed as unstable. But this oil company way too smart for you know for their own good really, or, or way too way too smart altogether. You know, or so they think anyways. Um, and they and they actually plan to install cooling devices beneath the ground where the pipe pipework is located. And that's absolutely bonkers. So their problem is that so an oil company's problem is that permafrost is melting and their equipment to extract oil is in danger. So they're going to end up freezing the ground under their oil pipes. It's it just it just sounds like a bit of a joke, but it's not. It's it's deadly serious and good on. Um, you know, so I guess you're wrapping all of this up. Hopefully, I made a few points there. Um, you know, it, it it's great to be aware of all this propaganda, you know, misinformation, and all the shenanigans that go on behind the scenes with governments. And it's it's worth remembering that it doesn't all reside in the past, you know, and is still very much alive today. You know, even on the eve of the 2020 U.S. presidential election, you know, Donald Trump is still banging the drum that climate change is a hoax. You know, but it's time to, I'm hoping at least, you know, it's time to step away from this denial machine now. And with, with a bit of a look, you know, reduce the influence fossil fuel government, you know, from fossil fuel companies have over governments across the world. Um, so on, on, all, on all of that, I just wanted to end on a couple Stephen Hawking quotes. I, I'm hoping this will give me some, you know, people might think, Jesus, good man, you know, fair play to you using Stephen Hawking. Um, you know, He's obviously a very smart guy, but he's, he's, there was a couple, a couple of quotes I thought were great. You know, he tried to give us all dire warning when he said that pollution coupled with human greed and stupidity are still the biggest threats to humankind. I thought that was quite powerful. And then, you know, but it's quite alarming and all that. But also I want to end on a bit more of a positive note. So he also gave it a, a, you know, a tie in, a positive note slash tie in with net zero, which is the reason for this podcast i guess um it was but he also claimed that uh, climate change is one of the great dangers we face and it's one we can prevent i think that's a really positive note to end on um so i guess you know as always you know thanks a million for joining or listening i guess uh you know i'd really love to hear from you you know what you think you know so welcome any contact to any of the rambling sets net zero social media channels that we've set up um you know and i guess it's just left to say all the best and take care of yourselves